Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. I just passed a card at the Welcome Center that says something about Patsy Burnett has just now authored her second book or my behind times at least her second and there's an invitation to be a part of the kind of the book launch party for her called the book is called sweeter than honey is what i understand and so the details are at the back pick up a card the first 50 people get a discount on the book and all the proceeds at least for that installment go to the pregnancy resource center of henry county congratulations to our resident author there if you have your Bibles this morning, please go to or this evening. That's where we're at. This evening, that is. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. The topic tonight is biblical friendship. We'll get started on a series of evening messages that I trust will help us develop deep and abiding friendships the way God intended it. Henceforth, the Lord would say to his disciples before he would leave for heaven, he would say, Henceforth, I have called you friends. What a great statement that is in John chapter 15 and verse 15. Now, you're, you're finding your way to Matthew chapter 8. I want to ask you a question, be a little more conversational tonight, and that is, what is the best thing a friend ever did for you in your whole life? Can you think real quick with me, what's the best thing? Now, we don't have a mic to run around tonight, but if, if you've got something just brimming in your heart about something a friend did for you that was outstanding and you remember it it's marked you what's the best thing a friend raise your hand I see see Helen Helen discipled me okay that's a great answer I'll try to repeat so folks that may be listening can uh, understand so Helen says disciple that's a great treasure isn't it that someone would love you enough to spend time in the word with you to get you on your way Sarah A friend that stopped her, confronted her, perhaps corrected her biblically, lovingly, so that she went in the right direction. That's another great answer. Someone else. It may not be that spiritual. Somebody, somebody gave me their car. Or somebody, I don't know. What did a friend do for you, Sarah? Yes. A good Samaritan, right? said, come live with me. Your car's... Uh, toast, and so we'll take care of you for a while. And uh, that's a wonderful thing to know, that there's friends like that that have a, a roof over their heads they want to share. That's wonderful. Someone else. The best thing a friend ever did for me. Talking about friendship tonight. Best thing my... Okay, Robin. Amen. A friend that cared about your soul. I've always been saying, when I tell her, tell her testimony for her, I always put her at age 11, so she corrects me. I was 10 when my friend invited me to that Baptist youth rally, and I got saved. What a great friend that is. Uh, whether you're 10 or 11 or 25 or 100, that somebody cares for your soul. Good. Someone else? Yes, in the back. Yes, Jackie.
Friends that watched your children while you were having more. That's good. It is great. Some of you young mothers know about that. Having a babysitter is just a great relief sometimes, right? Yes. He married me. <laughs> I was going to say that about Robin. You beat me to the punch. Good friend said yes, uh, or uh, will you? Yes, that's great. Amen. These have been good, good answers and good, um, good indications of true friendship. From Matthew chapter 11, we do notice that there are levels or uh, tiers of friendship. We'll, we'll look at this just for a moment and draw some conclusions tonight about biblical friendship. Matthew chapter 8, the Lord has been sharing a, a seminar by the sea, uh, seashore, and, and then he uh, begins to take off and depart. It says in verse 16, Matthew chapter 8, when the evening was come, they brought him many that were possessed with devils. He cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, when Jesus saw great multitudes around him, he gave the commandment to depart to the other side. Remember the story of Jesus on the stormy sea, right? A certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, as you're leaving, I, I, I would like to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Well, that's somewhat stymied that man's desire. Another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. I'm sure the boat at this time was being loosed from the shore. And Jesus said unto him, follow me, let the dead bury their dead. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. You see levels of friendship here, don't you? You see those who came just looking for a miracle, to be fed or to be healed. Those might be considered fair-weather friends. Others went at least to the bank of the shore and said, Lord, we want to come with you. And the Lord almost in a harsh, almost seeming, Lord's never unkind, but in a seemingly unkind way, said, wait a minute. Let the dead bury their dead. Let someone else take care of your father. You come and follow me. If you want to follow me, it's time. Get in the boat with us. And they were turned aside by that. It seems almost rude or unkind, doesn't it, to make... Friendship with God seems so, at least in this context, so exclusive, so single-focused. Do I have to make a decision? The Lord almost draws a line in the sand there of the shore. Interesting how abrupt the next verse is, verse, verse 20, excuse me, uh, yes, verse 23, and when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed. His disciples, his truest friends got in the boat with him, those he had, of course, chosen as his own personal disciples. Other accounts say they were, were with him, <laughs> with that boat, other little ships, but we don't hear anything about those, at least that night, crossing the sea with the Lord. It was just as if the Lord and his close circle of true friends made the journey across the Galilean Sea. Well, we were in Israel a couple summers ago, and it was interesting that we stopped at uh, the museum, which is by the Sea of Galilee, and it, they had a, a really a, a dry year one year, and there was an exposed ship from the time period in which Jesus lived, and so they carefully dug it out of the mud and restored it and put it in the museum. Sometimes as a child, 
reading these stories, I think of a ship being a huge vessel. This boat wasn't that big at all that Jesus and his disciples got into. In fact, when his 12 got in the boat with him, it was a full boat. Now certainly the Lord perhaps could have taken those who were truly committed to following him, but his disciples, his truest friends followed him. It was this group of people that later in John chapter 15, as I mentioned before, the Lord would go to heaven. He looked at them and said, uh, henceforth I call you no more servants, for a servant knoweth not what his master or his Lord doeth. But from here on out I call you what? Can you imagine that moment when the Lord of glory looked at them, his disciples, and said, I call you my friends. I want to ask you to raise your hand if you have at least one good friend. Someone said the quality of our life is determined by the quality of our friendships. And to live life without a friend is to not live at all. Do you have a great friend, even one? Let's turn the coin. Are you a good friend to anyone at all? Think about that. Henceforth, I call you no more servants, for a servant is unaware of what the Lord does, but I've called you my friends. Now, why do you suppose it is that the Lord looked at his disciples and said, I'm calling you from this point on, my friends? Well, he answers the question, doesn't he? He says, I'm going to divulge to you my plans. I'm going to tell you all about my plans. A transference of information makes you a student. A transference of time makes you a disciple, but a transference of a plan makes you an insider, a true friend. That's what we talked about this morning. The wisdom of God spoke of God's eternal plan, evidenced in the gospel. God is here, and God came. To, it wasn't just that he needed 12 men to follow him all over the place for three years and then say goodbye. He was divulging to them a plan that they would be really the point men for the dispensation of the church by which he would reveal to the world that he was really here to effect redemption for all and rescue his bride. And then he wanted to bring us to heaven, to his home. That's the plan. And he was saying, men, you're the first ones to know of this. It's not over at the cross. I've got a plan for you. And my plan is to bring you to my home, to be where I am. That's a true friend that will divulge to you his plan. I love the story about a homeless man by the name of Howard. I don't read long illustrations often from the pulpit, and this one isn't that long, but I clipped it from a magazine, and I want to read it to you because the topic of friendship is uh, important in this little story by Ted Brooks. Bad luck, he said. The light turned red, and I was trapped standing at the corner. I prayed for it to change quickly because he was standing too close to me. Can I have something for my file, mister? He asked. This one had to be a crazy man. No doubt about it. The grimy box under his arm gave him away. Crazy people always carry something, usually a shopping bag with handles pushing a cart somewhere. Busy cities. They can be unstable. But this guy looked pretty safe. Sorry, I've got no money, I repeated, telling the old lie that came, off, came out almost automatically. 
Have you got anything for my file? He repeated. He was bugging me. He really was. I fished through my pocket and pulled out a brochure that I happened to have and handed it to him. No, he shouted. Then almost pathetically, he finished. I don't have a file for that. I took it back, turned away. Come on, light, change, change. I stepped over the curb to look for a break in the traffic. I'm Howard. What's your name? Mark. One syllable was all the information I intended to give the man. He was a nut. I had no desire to have some crazy calling me all the time. I knew people who had to change their telephone number just to stop the calls. I liked my number. I chanced a quick look to see what he was doing. He had a pencil in one hand and was stooping to pick up a piece of paper from the gutter. Just then the light changed and I was happy for it. I took off. Halfway down the block, I slowed down and looked back. The crazy had just closed his box and began to look around for a new victim. A few days later, I was walking the same route home when I noticed an ambulance parked outside the dingy alley. I joined the crowd of onlookers. Two attendants in white jackets wheeled their stretcher out of the alley. It was that crazy man. His face was showing, so I knew he wasn't dead yet, but as the attendant shut the door, I could tell by their conversation he wouldn't stay uncovered for long. A policeman raised his voice and asked the crowd, Did anyone know this guy? Nobody answered. Finally, I volunteered. Quietly, his name was Howard. The people around me backed away, as if my knowing the crazy man's name made me crazy, too. The cop came over and began to pump me for more information. His name is Howard. That's all I know. Well, at least there'll be a name for the headstone. Thanks for your help, sir. Oh, by the way, would you take this box for me? He reached down and picked up the crazy man's box. I'd like to skip the paperwork. He shoved the box into my hands and walked away before I could object. Why would I want this guy's trash? I looked around for a garbage can and couldn't just toss the box, though. Maybe it was the stories I'd heard of millionaires who live like bums or... Perhaps it was my slightly misguided sense of loyalty to the human race. Whatever it was, carefully I opened the grimy box. I was disappointed. There was no money. There was nothing but old clothes and a file folder. I pulled out the file, dumped the rest of the stuff, and then I noticed the crude printing on the folder. Just one heading. Friends. I opened it, and I looked inside. It held only one small scrap of paper, and on it was my name, Mark. Do you even have one friend? Someone said, again, your quality of life is determined not by your money, but by your friendships. May God help us to develop great friends. Uh, who would you call? When you're stuck in a ditch, Tennessee, at 2.30 in the morning, who would you seek out when the whole world falls apart? Does this sound like the makings of a country song? <laughs> we all, all of us crave friendship, and the Bible has a lot to say about friends and friendships. I'm going to glean some wonderful principles about friendships in our study, the evening series. 
uh, principles that will help us be better friends. Never forget, a, a friend of mine was, uh, was dating, a bit confused about marriage and about um, relationships with girls. An older man, pastor, answered to his question. He asked the pastor, the older pastor, who should I marry? I'm confused. How do I know that she's the right one? Well, he answered this by saying, listen, son, just marry your best friend. So he went home and proposed to his dog. <laughs> Not really. Fairweather friends. We'll look at three categories of friends tonight. We see the uh, world is often good for this. They're fair weather. Ever had a fair weather friend? You know what I mean by that? Someone who hangs around you when you've got it all together and maybe a little money in your pocket. The crowds on the hillside here near the Sea of Galilee were interested in the popular Jesus, the uh, miracle-working Jesus, the one that offered to them food and sustenance and healing from diseases, the what-can-you-do-for-me Jesus. We all have had these friends, and there was a young man in college one day who drove in. I remember this very clearly because I was up on about the second floor, uh, and I saw him come in, and I was flabbergasted by what he was driving. He drove in a late model, that year's model, red Corvette. And I had just driven to college in a 1974 Pinto hatchback, where, the, where that, you know, the, the stuff on the top was all curled up and peeling back because of the sun. It was the best car I could afford. And uh, it made it to college, and I was just thankful. But I immediately noticed how many friends <laughs> a red Corvette will get you. He had all kinds of people buzzing around that car. No one was paying attention to my 1974 Pinto. He had more girlfriends than I had, too. Of course, I had the best. But he had the red Corvette. I wouldn't trade a car lot full of red Corvettes for you, honey, just for the record. But boy, did he have onlookers and friends. Everybody wanted to take a ride in the Corvette, that brand new shiny Corvette, even me. Turn with me, will you, to Job chapter 19. We'll read a few verses there. Job chapter 19. I think Job is found right before the book of Psalms. Job chapter 19. You know what? Job had it all together. He was really on the town council. Job 19. He had uh, 10 wonderful children. Uh, he was well respected. Large, cro uh, large crops and large um, bank account, no doubt. He was really an official in his town. And yet God, as you know the story, changed his circumstances dramatically. And what happened, of course, his wife turned her back on him, and even he sensed that God himself, verse 6, know now that God hath overthrown me and hath compassed me with his net. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, that even God has turned his back on you. Well, verse 19 gives us a picture of what fairweather friends do. All my inward friends abhorred me, and they whom I loved are turned against me, my bone cleaveth to my skin and my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin, or that's where that phrase comes from, the skin of my teeth. Have pity upon me, have pity upon me, O ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. 
May I challenge you tonight to run to and not away from your friends in their time of trial. Don't go deaf to their cries or blind to their needs. When the tide goes out, you come in and stand with them on the beach, consoling them. What a great thing it is to have real friends. My father, once I was uh, out of our first ministry and in construction for about six years, beginning to wonder what God's plan was for my life, I remember clearly, succinctly, the day my dad pulled me aside and he said, I want to tell you something, son. And this, I, I was in my 30s at the time. He says, I want to tell you something. I do not believe God is done with you yet. There are not a lot of things I remember my dad saying, but I remember that. When the world goes away, when your money runs out and health fades, who are those that will stand with you? I, I hope to be that kind of a friend to others. Fairweather friends are there only in good times. Job had a few of those. What about for a while friends? That's another category. There are some that are friends for a while. Fairweather friends, uh, they're here and gone. But a, a for a while friend is a little different. He'll stick around for a little while. And I'm not saying that God expects every friendship to be lifelong in terms of being in the same locality or vicinity. There, there is a truly a, uh, the move of God takes people. Well, I know that in our life we've moved quite a bit, and I'm sure you have, some of you have. We know that we get moved around, bumped around by life, and that's okay. God does move us. But a for a while friend will often come just for a little while. I've used to keep a list of people that had come to the ministry and left this ministry with really what I would consider no good reason. Finally, I quit counting. God kind of nudged me and said, why are you keeping that list? It's not important anyway. For a while, friends. Have you had any in your life? Come, stay a while, and move away. Often leaving without a good reason. Maybe they're upset, bitter. They've been scolded or they've been um, upset, bumped out, gotten crossways in the saddle as they say. Listen to Proverbs twenty-five nineteen. Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Isn't that interesting? Confidence in an unfaithful man is like having a toothache. Have you ever had a friend they gave you a heartache, just broken heart. There for a while, Paul had a lot of those. Came and served with him a while and then disappeared like a Bedouin into the evening sun. For a while, friendships. They stay long enough to build trust and confidence and gain responsibility. And then off they go because they got slightly hurt or because they got offended or the wind changed or off they go to another marriage or job or church, some glittering opportunity, and you're left with a toothache. Here's my, recommend, here's my recommendation to you if you've fallen into this pattern of life that's full of short stays. A preacher used to give me this, this, uh, this uh, wonderful advice. He says, don't go somewhere unless you're called there. And once you're there... Don't leave before you're done. And don't stay beyond your usefulness. Wonderful advice, isn't it? I think short-term 
Ministries often short-circuit long-term results. It's important to be sensitive to God's hand and calling. Paul, the missionary, was living a life of short stays, but he was called to be a church planner. Most people are called to be church builders, and that requires long-term ministry. Forbearance, endurance, patience. I love what Mr. Lee says. He's in our service tonight. He says this about endurance. He was asked, how long should you survive ministry troubles? I don't know if this, sir, is original with you, but he just responds, you got to outlive them. (laughs) I think he got that from uh, Brother Pyle, Pastor Pyle years ago, who stayed here for 43 years and stayed here until the Lord took him home. That's not always going to be everybody's uh, testimony, but in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 9 and 10, we read these words, Timothy, and this is not the only time in the last chapter of the last book that Paul writes, he says this, Timothy, would you please come as quickly, do your diligence to come shortly unto me. Paul had many friends, but Timothy was one of his friends that was like-minded, who cared for others like like a son in the faith. And when he was facing execution, more than anything, he wanted a friend. And he wanted Timothy. I wonder what it is that has bumped us out of the saddle in our past. And I, I think of Paul's word about Demas. Timothy, you do your diligence to come unto me. Why? For Demas, remember that name? Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica. For a while friends come and go, and whether it's a disagreement or distance or difficulty or just disengagement of the friendship, they slip away. And even after there's been an investment, perhaps, in a discipleship, pray for pastors. Would you do that? Put that in your note. This is perhaps their number one heartache. We get letters from missionaries all the time, brokenhearted over some some student in the faith, some young disciple that they were honing to take a church plant, and all of a sudden, they're gone. Chasing some dream or falling into sin and no longer there. This is the preacher's number one heartache. And it's probably uh, the missionaries as well. Complaint, missionary, ministry, dropouts. Pray for marriages. Too many people marry for better or for worse, but not for good. Just determine that we're going to stick it out. We're not going to use the word divorce. We're gonna, the best way around a problem is to go through it, hand in hand, together. Don't be a for-a-while friend. Job had fair-weather friends. Demas was a for-a-while friend. Friend, but let's talk as we wrap things up tonight about faithful friends. Would you fee, would you please finish this verse? A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Uh, we could have testimonies tonight, couldn't we, about the way you've been a good friend to someone else? We could have testimonies about how you stuck it out and how you've perhaps helped a friend through a difficult period of time. 1 Samuel 18, 
1 through 5. We'll not go there tonight, but there's the wonderful account of the friendship between Jonathan and David. Of anybody, Jonathan should have been the most offended by this new relationship. David shows up after killing Goliath, and he is the talk of the town, and Jonathan is supposed to be the next in line to be the king. But Jonathan, demurely understanding God's anointing on the life of David, stepped back and decided instead he was going to be, the Bible says they were knit together in their hearts. The Hebrew kashar, to tie or to be bound together, glued almost. Jonathan should have been David's arch enemy the successor to his father's throne, but their friendship, I tell you, it's a wonderful study. We'll probably touch on it in our series of friendship. But their friendship was marked by not only a common mission as soldiers, but a mutual kindness, courtesy, loyalty, openness, sacrifice, and a shared commitment to God. These two guys were just great buddies. It was based around their purpose in life and their common interests, and their love one for another. Faithful friends, more than anything else, build loyalty. You say, Pastor, how should we build our church? May I encourage you to be a great friend? Not just to the newcomers and visitors, but just build friendships. I was talking to a former Marine. I guess you're not supposed to call them ex-Marines, but a former Marine. And... uh, he shared his testimony. He was saved, but he says, you know what I miss most about my past? <laughs> he says, and he was, he was sharing this in a church context. He says, I missed the bar. And everybody's eyes got real big. <laughs> what do you mean? Don't say that in church. He says, it just seems like the independent Baptist church isn't set up for good fellowship. He said, we'd go to the bar every night and hang out. Yes, he said, some guys would get drunk. But we would spend hours just talking about battles and about what's on our hearts. And we left as great friends back to the battlefield. No, I don't think Baptists need a bar. But we need friends. I've often said, I think our foyer is too small. Doesn't mean that's the only place. We can sit down, but I don't think we slow down enough. Next Sunday morning, we do this. We structure a time for friendship, right? (laughs) We try to do that. We have events that push us together, but it ought to happen all the time. I think we're on a pace that's too fast. I'm envious of some cultures that are better set for slowing down, for houses that open up for friendships. It just seems, doesn't, or am I the only one, but it just seems like we're so or too busy to develop good heart-to-heart talks. Let's do what we can to be faithful friends. Deep-hearted friendships. You say, Pastor, that's it. I've always struggled to find a friend here at Bible Baptist. So what should I do? Aren't you glad the Bible has an answer for you? It does. He that hath friends, take it off the others and put it on yourself. He that hath friends must show himself friendly. 
Don't wait for someone to come up to you. Don't wait for someone else to take the initiative. I love Josh Murphy's testimony a few weeks ago, how uh, when in his life all things were kind of going the wrong way, there was uh, an initiative that he took in his life and in his heart to just simply say this, if I'm going to be somewhat shunned because of my past, I'm going to do my best to just step out and begin to take the initiative and talk to other people and say, how have I offended you? And if I have, please forgive me. And all of a sudden, Josh Murphy's life was surrounded by new friends because he decided to be friendly. I do believe that it would help all of us to step out of our shell and to go to others, and to make time. Our culture isn't really set up for that. We come home and our, after our busy days, or put the garage door down and and we just kind of go to the couch and just say, I'm glad that's over. I'm glad my people and my talking time is done. Maybe you're like me. I'm a little bit geared that way, kind of shy to myself, withdraw. But we must understand that God has put us here for friendships. He who hath friends must show himself friendly. And does anybody, I almost brought out a dollar bill, to see anybody who can finish that verse. That's not all that verse says. He that hath friends must show himself Friendly, and there is a friend. Isn't that a great way to end that verse? There's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Speaking of the Lord, we can't end a sermon without mention of our perfect friend. In that boat, of course, there were the close friends of the Lord, the true disciples that decided to leave the bank and leave the shore and get in the boat and go with the Lord into the storm. But there was one in that boat, the only one that's ever qualified as the perfect friend. You and I were standing on trial, condemned to die, without an advocate, without a friend, without bail, without hope. And then in loving kindness, we had a friend show up. Jesus, our advocate, came. We looked around, withering before the holy judge, the Father who held out a list of our trespasses. Guilty, we cried, guilty, guilty as charged, guilty of all. For he that offends in one point is an offender in all. Then a voice of mercy whispered, May I say a word on your behalf? I turned along with you and saw a nail-pierced hand. On my shoulder, we who were outcasts, poor, needy, guilty, without hope, facing imminent death, all of a sudden, Notice the presence of a friend, Jesus, standing behind us, stood up in front of the judge, said, I am a friend of this one. I am a friend of sinners. Matthew eleven nineteen says he was accused of that by those who are Pharisees. This man eats with wine-bibbers and is a friend of sinners. Aren't you glad? That your advocate, with nail-pierced hands, held them out before the judge. It says, this one deserves to die, but I paid in full. Look, see my head, my hands, my feet. I'm a friend of sinners. Though the enemy of the state, that's me, has done much wrong and done great violence to the law, and his thoughts and deeds mark him as the chief of sinners, I wish not only to advocate for his release, I've come to pay his penalty in full. Lay no charge, lay no condemnation, 
No captivity to his account. No more blame to his name. For I have loved him with an everlasting love. I stand not only as his advocate, the payment in full for all his evil deeds, but I am his friend. Is God your friend? When's the last time you held a meaningful conversation with your friend, Jesus? After all he's done for you, don't go to bed tonight without saying thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.